The podcast is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investment app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs. I learned that from from Mike last week. It's ETFs, not ETFs. <laughs> Options, cryptos, and all commission free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy, uh, which is good. Uh, non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence, like me. Uh, simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented in easy to digest way. I don't think they wanted me to just read this. Well, <laughs> I think they wanted me to make it sound like I, I had some more thoughts, but really I don't have uh, more thoughts. I do, uh, of course, have thoughts, as everybody knows, uh, when you sign up uh, and you can sign up at Poscast, P-O-S-C-A-S-T.RobinHood.com. Um, when you sign up, you get a free stock, free share of stock, um, <laughs> which is super cool. And I got to do that and I, I got a free share of Sirius XM. So I've been very, mm. very actively watching the Sirius XM sure. movement, you know, you know, the, I don't know if you know this market's been down lately, <laughs> um, and I noticed this because of my Sirius XM uh, stock that I have. Uh, it is super easy to use. It, it, it really is easy to understand. They they show you charts, all sorts of cool things. So it's podcast, P-O-S-C-A-S-T dot Robinhood dot com to get your free stock like Apple, Ford or Sprint is what they say. So you don't have to. You're not just because you signed up this way does not mean you're going to get Sirius XM stop. That's just what I got. But but you um, might get something else. So I have a friend named Mike Stone who um, is a big Braves fan, and he's a podcast listener. And after last week, uh, he texted me, and I want to read this to you uh, <laughs> verbatim. He said, I listened to a lot of podcasts. That was the worst sponsor plug I've ever heard. <laughs> and I said, oh, we've done worse. And he said, that does not seem possible. <laughs> and then he said, I would pay money not to have you two sell my product. <laughs> I'm thinking that is the future of the I think that's the move. We go to we it's basically we switch to extortion. We go to companies and say, unless you pay us, we are going to endorse your product and it will harm your actively harm your company. Actively harm your company. We, and that we're could going really after change the, the game. That could change the way that advertising dollars are spent. It's it's uh extortion instead of <laughs> instead of like uh, here, please help uh, sell my product. It's I will give you this so that you don't try to help sell my product. The great thing about this is no company would be beyond our reach. I mean, even if you're like Apple or Google, if we said, hey, we're we're going to start promoting your product, they're in. They're One like, would imagine that the bigger the company, the more money we would make because the more <laughs> the more damage we could do. Right. Like it's a it's an exciting idea. I think it's at least worth looking into. It is an exciting idea. And, and the great thing is that we really would do it exactly like this. We would really try to try to promote their company and end up doing just disaster. Yes. That, and that, that is the, the real threat is what we would say is, listen, <laughs> we're going to try as hard as we can to make your company sound good. And that, that thought is so terrifying for corporate America. They, there's, there's no limit to the amount of money they would pay us not to do that. I cannot believe that your friend uh, who is a podcast listener uh, would put last week's, which I admit was, was fantastically terrible. Um, I can't believe that he would put that above uh, some of our shaving uh, ads, <laughs> <laughs> where where you literally asked to be chloroformed yeah. during 
during the ad. Those I, I were think- good. It's possible he just missed those. I'm not sure. I don't think he listens to every single episode. <laughs> well, why would he? Yeah. Why would he? So, so I think that the, we can. I think we can all take from this. Go to podcast.robinhood.com and uh, and uh, join today. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. You are happy for this podcast. Am I? Oh, that's just right. I am. Yes. (laughs) You're 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 pretty happy. You know, I I have to say, and you know, we we love our listeners uh, here at the podcast. Uh, I have to say. A lot of anger from our listeners uh, toward you specifically, not Why? not toward the podcast. Well, they just don't. They just think that you're too happy. You're too you you have you have had too much success in your life, uh, too much uh, success with your teams, um, and there have been several requests, uh, even demands, to shut down the the Yankee Minute. Now that that your Red Sox keep winning over and over again, which we are not going to do, by the way. Well, here's the thing. Um, this is what I'll say about what has happened to my favorite team, not just in the last couple of weeks uh, or this season, but in, uh, but since the year 2004, let's say, um, something died, something bad died inside of me when they won, because I had the, I came to the inevitable conclusion that there's now nothing left that sports can provide me in terms of happiness. There really isn't like I have, as a fan, I've reached Nirvana and I like, you know, 2004 was about breaking this stupid fake curse that was actually the result of decades and decades of mismanagement and racism and incompetence, right? 2007 was about proving that wasn't a one one off thing. Like this is now just a good organization that can just field good teams and draft well and put together good rosters and win. 2013 was this crazy thing of they were in last place the year before and then they came out and the and the marathon bombing happened and they sort of won this it was this crazy kind of like storybook uh, season. And then 2018 was like, they were just wire to wire the best team. Like that was the only version of winning that they hadn't done yet was just like, we're a juggernaut. We're just, we're, we're, they were 17 and two. They won 108 games. They blew everybody out of the water. But then after that, they did, they, it was, that's gotta be, I would say one of the great postseason runs of all time, right? Oh, sure. Like, that just just to recap, first of all, just for, this is a mixture of fact and fandom. Okay, <laughs> they um, they clinched the AL East in Yankee Stadium, which is like <laughs> the best way you can possibly clinch the AL East if you're a Red Sox fan. Not only that, but as I've talked about before in this podcast, a couple of years earlier, they also clinched in New York, but they clinched in the saddest possible way, which is. They clinched in like the eighth inning of a game. They were winning by four runs or three runs. I can't remember. And so like they had already won. And I was like, oh, my God, they're going to celebrate on the field. That's going to be so cool. And then Craig Kimbrell gave up a grand slam to Mark Deshera in the bottom of the ninth. And the Yankees, who were out of the playoffs, like walked off on them in their own stadium. So the Red Sox had to kind of like sadly trudge into the clubhouse and then go crazy, which was just like <laughs> it was like a classic thing of like they can't even have that. Like they just get denied this one little happiness. But they clinched the AI least in Yankee Stadium. They then beat the Yankees in four games and won the ALDS in Yankee Stadium after beating them 16 to 1. 
in game three. The Yankees won 100 games this year, by the way. They were really good. Then they played the Astros, who won like 104 games or whatever. They were really, really good. And they steamrolled the Astros in five games. They won all three games in Houston. They suffocated one of the great teams of the modern era. And then they went to the World Series, and they were an Ian Kinsler error away from sweeping the World Series against the defending NL champs. Like They played three incredibly good teams. They were 11-3 and in 14 games. By the way, here's something crazy. They they faced four Cy Young Award winners. Sabathia, Koikel, Verlander, and Kershaw. They faced Verlander twice and Kershaw twice. Right. They were five and one against those in those yeah. six games against Cy Young Award winners. Now, obviously Sabathia isn't what he used to be, but still, those are four incredibly good pitchers. They went five and one in those games. Like they 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 destroyed them. They 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 just absolutely plowed through three incredibly good teams. They It was never really that tense except in a couple moments against the Astros, but it was only tense because Kimball was imploding, not because the actual games were tense. And and at the end of it, I was like, I was at game five, amazingly, with my jerk son, uh, <laughs> who, by the way, and this is the real headline of this um, of this segment, my jerk son after game one of the World Series, you know, he's always been like 55-45 Dodgers Red Sox. Sure. He announced after game one, he said, Dad, I think I'm a Red Sox fan. There you go. Told and you. And he 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 turned. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> now, listen, buddy, I'm so happy. But, like, don't give up on your Dodgers. Like, Dodgers are fun. They're a good team. They're your hometown team. And he was like, no, I'm not giving up on them. I just, I just want the Red Sox to win. Now, here's what happened in my brain at that moment. I thought to myself, the Red Sox are going to lose. <laughs> Because, because, because the thought process was simply they ruined my childhood. And now that my son has declared this out loud, they're going to ruin his. And so when they lost that 18 inning game, I was like, yeah, right. Yes. I don't, I, I didn't want to say this to anyone. I didn't want to admit it, but I was like, the Red Sox are losing. That's what's going to happen. They're going to crush my 10 year old son's soul the way they crushed my exactly, by the way, 10 year old soul in 1986. And this is how it begin. This is how like this is how they ruin another generation of my family. And then they just didn't. They just no, won. They really won didn't. game four, and then they won game five, and it was pretty easy. And they celebrated. And and you looked up and you just realized they were the best team all year. Nobody else was really that close. Even the Astros, even the Yankees, even the Dodgers, they just weren't in the same league as the team. And so as a result, realizing that not only did they not crush my son's hopes and dreams and spirit. They just effortlessly won the World Series. And I had this thought, which was simply, there is nothing left f- f- for them to give me. And there's nothing left for sports to give me. Like, I I achieved a kind of, like, fan nirvana. And I, I this is all a long-winded way of saying, I could retire the Yankee Minute. I could happily retire it because wow. I think that even if even if the Yankees win the world series next year, it won't hurt me in the way that it could have hurt me at one point in my life. Like even I know even before this, the Red Sox have won three world series in this century and the Yankees only won one and blah, 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 blah. I I know this isn't about logic. (laughs) This is about, (laughs) this is about the Yankees and, and torment. But I really do feel now like there's, what else could I ever hope for? What else could you ever hope for as a fan than what happened um, this year uh, on behalf of the Boston Red Sox? No, that's you pretty much have hit the point. Uh, I'm going to just say up front that uh, this is this is very kind of you, uh, and 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 there is a definitely uh, a sense of the afterglow. 
there's no way that this lasts. No chance <laughs> that this lasts. It's zero. I mean, I'm giving it a 0% chance. And I'm not even convinced it'll last through, like, we are, we're doing this on election day. I'm not even convinced this is going to last through November. I, I, I certainly once the once the the winter meeting starts and and the, the, no chance. But I think in eight days there'll be a rumor about the Yankees signing Manny Machado, and I will get a text from you going, "God, that it'll just be." I don't think that this lasts. And nor, by the way, do I think it should last. Uh, the Yankee Yankee anger should should never. Uh, go away and um and you know this is the this is what coaches say all the time it's they always say uh losing hurts way more than winning feels great and and you know this is i know you feel great i know that that this is you know this was the perfect season in in so many ways but it'll end soon enough the red Sox will lose some heartbreaking game you'll 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 start panicking again when they're up three runs in the eighth. And it, I, I think everything returns back to normal. I don't think that this lasts. But you, look, maybe you, might, you might be right. But what I would say is that uh, there's a difference between the normal sort of like pain that a sports fan feels when his or her team loses or when his or her least favorite team wins. Right. Like there, right. there's the that's a basic pain that you just sign up for as a sports fan. This, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the extra level of psychic pain <laughs> caused by these tiny moments that the rest of the world doesn't even notice or shrugs at, but that for, in this case, Red Sox fans feel like personal attacks on your integrity and honor. <laughs> like the, the kind of tiny, and like what I'm talking about is like Luke Voigt, get, like getting picked up, but you know, on a like a waiver claim or whatever it was, or like some garbage trade. And then, <laughs> hitting like 18 home runs in four games that it's that kind of psychic pain that the rest of the world looks at and goes like, that's crazy. Where'd Luke Voigt come from? But for Red Sox fans, it's like, you don't understand. There's a long and agony filled tradition of guys like Luke Voigt coming in and doing this and like having it consume your waking days and nights and thoughts and feelings and emotions. Like that's the stuff I'm talking about. The edge has been taken off for me. And I, I look, you might be totally right. I might be right back to texting you and losing my mind as soon as, you know, that like they signed the Yankees re-signed Brett Gardner. Why in the world did they re-sign Brett Gardner? And they've got 11 outfielders and yeah. 15 more in AAA who are all like, tr- like triple crown candidates. Right. I do not understand why they signed Brett Gardner. But the reason they signed Brett Gardner is because next year, uh, on opening day, the Yankees will be down eight nothing, and Brett Gardner will hit a grand slam walk off to win the game, like because that's just what Brett Gardner does. He'll foul off seventy pitches, and then he'll hit a grand slam, and they'll win. And like wh- my point is, I really do feel like now at this moment that will annoy me, but it won't like ruin my life in the way that it, that it used to ruin my life. I I really do feel that like I went like I took my jerk son to the Super Bowl, uh, the Patriots Eagles Super Bowl. And the Patriots lost that. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but they, they lost that Super Bowl. <laughs> I heard something about this. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't care. Like, I just didn't care. I didn't yeah, have it in me to care. Different. Like, yeah, because it was different. like, they've won five Super What do I right. want? Like, how, what can I ask for? What, 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 what in the world, how in the world could I allow that to, to like hurt me and, and still feel like I'm a functioning human being? Like I, it was like a bummer because my team didn't win a game, but 
for goodness sakes. Also, the Eagles, like I, the Eagle, look how happy the Eagles fans are. And they, every, every fan base of every team deserves to have occasional happiness. Like if they, if you don't, there's just too much psychic pain in the world to have sports add to the, to the psychic pain too much. And I was like, I found myself like happy for the Eagles because I remember 2001, 2002 when the Patriots won for the first time. And just you're out, you have a two week euphoria that just kicks in. And so that's my point, I think, is like the the extreme edge of fandom was shaved, was honed down and shaved off by what just happened. And I, I'm happy. I don't, it's not like I like this. I didn't like it. I hated the fact that it could be like a random Tuesday in early July. And I would see that the Yankees had been down six, nothing in the eighth and came back and won. And it would like make me angry for an hour. I hated that. I don't, that's insane. It's not even my team. It's the opposite of my team. And I still cared. And so now after winning 108 games, having the league MVP, all the likely league MVP also like, uh, you know, and then beat, clinching the AL East in New York, clinching the ALDS in New York, beating the Astros, Ben Intendi's catch to save that game, like beating the Dodgers in five, coming back miraculously from um, from down, uh, you know, from an 18 inning loss, which is a terrible thing to go through for any team on the road. And then also knowing that like they have a a guy who appears to be an incredibly good coach that every manager that everybody likes they've got an incredible core of young talent they've got you know they've got a very bright future they seem to be being run by a very intelligent group like what else could you ask for that's 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 my point is like you we ask certain things of sports and they ask sports asks certain things of us and at this point in my life i ask nothing else of sports i officially am like i've completed i've completed the journey of being a sports fan and now i hope that it shifts me into a different phase in my life, which is where I just get to enjoy sports at like a, in a calm, like laid back manner. Yeah. Two weeks, two weeks (laughs) (laughs) at most, but, but it's great that you're, that you, that you can feel this way. It's great that you can feel healthy. It is true. I mean, this is, this is where I think things are going to shift. Um, and, and it will make you angry is that, um, you don't want people to start uh, treating the Red Sox like the Yankees. You don't want people to start hating the Red Sox in that sort of same way that they're bullies and everything goes right for them and 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 it all works out and everything it doesn't matter and they get they get guys that that aren't any good and suddenly they're great and and all of their prospects turn out awesome which is sort of the run that they're on at the moment. And yes, yeah, Steve Pierce did have a very Luke Voigt like <laughs> run. Didn't very he? Luke Voigt. Very, very <laughs> Luke Voigt. And it's funny because uh, during the world series, Brandon and I um, uh, were texting uh, amongst uh, the three of us wondering why in the heck Steve Vo- Pierce was hitting third in the lineup. It just was like, what in the world is, is happening that Steve and then Steve Pierce uh, showed exactly why he was yeah. getting third in the lineup, and and that was very Yankee minute. Very, oh, it very was. It, well, that's the, I guess that that's the uh, the last thing I'll say about this is like at at some level, what I was forced to realize is that the way that the Yankees have those guys show up and suddenly play really well or get a bunch of breaks or just go on crazy runs or whatever, it's not endemic to Yankee culture. It seems like it is to me because I've been tormented by them. They're the team that I 
have they're the bullies in my life my entire 43 years they were the bullies and so every time they had something happen like that it was magnified a thousand fold but if you are the dodgers right now you're thinking that same set of things about the <laughs> yes, red sox you you're thinking who the hell is steve pierce and why did he just win the world series mvp and you're thinking like how did how did Raphael Devers, like a 21-year-old who had a 700 OPS the whole year, how did he drive in a run in eight consecutive playoff <laughs> games and like win the MVP? Like, how did this? How did any of this happen? And the answer to to the those questions, which is also the actual answer to how the Yankees have done it so many times, is they're a good team with a lot of good players, and then sometimes they get lucky, and sometimes they scout well, and sometimes they say, you know, in the Red Sox case. Um, you know, we have Mitch Moreland at first and he's good defensively and he, he's like, he, you know, he's okay with the baddie. He's a gap hitter and he'll give us 15 home runs, but he's just, we're susceptible against lefties. And if you look at the, down the line to the playoffs, you're going to face guys like, uh, like Clayton Kershaw and Dallas Koichel and CC Sabathia. We need a lefty masher and look, Hey, there's Steve Pierce. He's 35 and he has a, you know, 900 OPS against lefties. So let's pick him up for literally nothing. And then they did, and then they played him against a bunch of lefties, and then he hit a bunch of home runs. And so it's like, you know, it's not voodoo. It's it's good scouting. It's good team construction and good roster management. And so, you know, it did open my eyes a little bit. It's not like I didn't know that. It's not like yeah, I really know. thought the Yankees were, were sprinkled with fairy dust, um, although they are. <laughs> but, <laughs> you but, might not uh, make it to the end. I guess (laughs) it's just that like the way that this unfolded besides being a complete dream season, the way it unfolded was exactly the way that if it had unfolded for the Yankees, I would have been screaming and losing my mind. And so I'm, I'm forced to confront the inevitable sort of logical conclusion that sometimes teams just go on these crazy runs and that like, if the Yankees go on one next year, Oh, well, like I'm, I'm just going to bum me out. I'll be sad. I'll be annoyed. But I don't think it will have the same psychic impact on me that it did. Now you're okay. saying two weeks. We'll two weeks. we'll see who's right. We'll find out. We'll find out. All right. We have a few questions from from uh, podcast listeners, so I'm going to throw those out there that are directly related. Uh, Sean wants to know: Could the 2018 Red Sox beat the 2004 Red Sox in the World Series, given the momentum following the comeback against the Yankees? So I guess he's specifically asking: 2004 Red Sox make it to the World Series already. 2018 Red Sox make it to the World Series already exactly the way that those guys made it. Who wins that series? Boy, that's a good question. I mean, the 2004 team was a was a sleeping giant all year that finally woke up. Um, not as everyone remembers after A-Rod and uh, Veritek got into a fight. Um, and then Bill Miller won that game off of with a home run off of Rivera that they went five and five in their next 10 games after that. Everyone, everyone thinks that that fight happened and suddenly they were, they turned it on, but it was really August and September. I kind of feel like that team was, had such a crazy amount of momentum that there's no, I kind of feel like no team would have beaten them. I mean, they were an incredible team. Their team OP, they said like a, I think, I believe they said a, a team OPS record that year. I mean, granted it was 2004 and, you know, back then a lot of teams had good OPSs, but, <laughs> but, um, I, I really think like, I, I kind of think, and this might just be rose colored glasses for that team, which will obviously always kind of hold a sure. important place in our psychic history. But I, I kind of feel like no team in the world could have beaten that team. I don't know. I mean, if any team could have done it, it would be this, 
2018 yeah. team? I gotta because say, from you think, you think they win? Yeah, from an outside perspective, I think this 2018 team wins. And and again, not to in any way downplay that 2014. That team was incredible and and did everything. But this 2018 team, I just don't know how you beat them. I just don't. They just wear you down in so many different ways. I mean, you know, maybe that team. The, the one weakness they had was the bullpen and Kimbrel at the end, and maybe maybe that 2014 steals a game or two, and and then and then you know takes it from there. I just you know I think the the pitching I think the pitching is better on this team. I think uh, I mean the starting rotation is better on this team. Defense is better on this team. The the you know that team mashed, but but it was a, a different time. Yeah, uh, you know what? You're totally right, actually, because. <laughs> <laughs> Think about this, and we've we've talked about this before, but you know every single guy in the in every single bullpen in baseball now throws ninety six to ninety eight. Keith Folk was the closer on that team. He couldn't hit ninety. I mean, he he threw eighty seven, eighty eight, and he had like an eighty four mile an hour changeup with pinpoint control, <laughs> right. and he was great. And he was he, you know he had one of the greatest postseasons uh, uh, runs of any relief pitcher right. to that point. But like. It is a different game now. And if you look at like, you know, that that 04 team, you know, you had Kevin Millar at first and you you had like a shaky you had a, they got uh Orlando Cabrera because their infield defense was so terrible. Right. Like they they had they were not great defensively. This Red Sox team was so their outfield defense was ridiculous. ridiculous. I mean, they just not that it really matters, but they just won two out of the three gold gloves uh in the outfield. Yeah, I think you're right. We, it, it, it's not, I don't think it's recency bias. If you look at the way they put together their at bats, like these guys that you don't think of as great hitters, like Brock Holt would come up and they would have a book on Brock Holt. The, the, the Astros had books on all these guys. And, and the book was basically breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball. And they just laid off. They laid off so many good sliders and curves and, and just like let those pitches go that were, you know, four inches low that like, they were trying to get the Red Sox hitters to pound the ball into the ground, and they just never, they just never gave in. They just, just laid off pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch. And you know, as as good a hitting team as the 0-4 team was, and as good as their starters were, their starters were really very good. I think this is the 2018 team is just a more complete team. So yeah, I, I think, think I think right. you're right. I think that's right. By the way, just just as a very very quick point, because we have a couple more questions to get to. Um, when Chris Sale came in the ninth inning of that, uh, you know, to, to finish off the game uh, and, you know, here you go, you have one inning of Chris Sale. He knows he's not going to pitch more than one inning. And in Brandon McCarthy's words, he just went full Randy Johnson on him. I mean, just, <laughs> yeah. it was just insane. It's just a reminder, every one of these pitchers and, and you can, this is, doesn't change. If you turned Pedro Martinez at his best, into a one inning or two inning reliever, nobody ever get a hit off him ever, ever. No. He would literally, you, you would talk about how good relievers are now and they're, they are, but it's because they've groomed this kind of pitcher. Uh, you know, we had one inning closers back then, but they were never the starters. They were never, they were never guy. I mean, Mariano was a failed starter. Trevor Hoffman was a failed shortstop. I mean, these are, these guys were not, you know, groomed specifically for this role and just watching sale throw one inning of just absurdities. I mean, it was an absurdity. And this is a guy who was hurt. This is a guy who it's at the end of a long year. We all know that he tends to wear down. 
It doesn't matter. You give him one inning and he's unhittable. I I don't I think if, if he made 30 consecutive appearances with at one inning, he'd give up zero hits. Yeah, I, I don't I, I, don't I mean, he'd ever hit him. He he made three excellent hitters look terrible. Terrible. I have, I've never seen, uh, I've seen a lot of Dodger games, as you yeah. know. I've never seen Justin Turner make oh a swing gosh. as bad as the strike three swing on the slider in the dirt. I've never seen Kike Hernandez, who's a very good player. Yeah, he's a very very solid player. I've never seen Kike Hernandez or really anyone in the majors swing his bat <laughs> after the ball was already in the glove. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And then Manny Machado who someone is going to give $250 million to this offseason to play shortstop and hit fourth, fell to his knee. He fell to his knee swinging at a slider in the dirt. You're right. It's like Sale was gearing up. They Cord did a very smart thing and saved him for to be on extra rest pitching game six at home. Once they won game four, he told Price at like two in the morning, you're starting tomorrow. And uh, he Sale was like gearing up to pitch game six at home. And then he took all of the pitches that he was going to pitch in game six and put them into like 10 pitches in game five <laughs> and then and made three excellent hitters incre- look incredibly bad. Just look incredibly bad. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. All right. Michael wants to know, should David Price have won the World Series MVP over Steve Pierce? Uh, it's certainly what I thought was going to happen. I thought it was going to happen. Yeah. And I think you could make a pretty good argument that he should have, um, you know, it wasn't like Pierce is a bad pick. This is, this is where I, where, you know, I think we've talked about this before when it comes to awards, the only award deals that bother me is because there are plenty of times that I think, Oh, they picked the wrong guy. But if the, if the person they pick still was terrific, was still like a great player and had a great year. And it's really just a matter of, well, I think this person had a better year. That's fine. I mean, that's, that's, that's a matter of disagreement. None of our stats are that precise that you can, you know, pick because this guy's got 0.3 more war. He had a better year. I mean, that's, that's absurd. And I think Steve Pierce had a great, uh, you know, great series. I mean, obviously had a great series. Uh, so I don't think it's that, but I, I am surprised just because, boy, outs were so hard to get, you know, and and for Price to come in and 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 with everything on top of him, not that that affects the MVP thing, but with all of the 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 narrative on top of him, you you uh, entered your name as David Price narrative for this podcast <laughs> um, for him to come out there and just really dominate uh, twice is pretty stunning. I mean, that's a that's a good Dodger hitting team. It's pretty stunning. It and and they hit right and lefties really well. They have a yeah. lot of good right-handed hitters. They have Puig and they have Turner and they have Machado. Like he, uh, we talk a lot about how much starting pitching has changed, especially in the postseason. But I I saw a stat that really blew me away. He was only the fifth pitcher ever to have three consecutive postseason starts of six or more innings and three or fewer hits. I mean that's yeah. that's dominant for the regular season. And then you realize that he's put he's pitching against the Astros and the Dodgers and like in the with you're right with that oh and nine or whatever it was starting you know record hanging over his head he whatever he did whatever adjustments he made whatever you know he moved his his um he used to stand in the middle of the rubber and then he right. moved to like the right. first base edge of the rubber or whatever it was whatever he did whatever however he hit his he maybe he was tipping his pitches whatever he did 
he he not only did it, he did it multiple times in a row, and he suffocated these really good lineups, yeah. these really, really good left-handed hitting lineups. You know, he suffocated hitters like Altuve and Bregman and, you know, Correa and Turner and Machado. Like, it, it was not a fluke. It's not like sometimes you get lucky and you end up facing a sort of subpar you know, a, a group of hitters in the in the postseason. These were great teams, and uh, I think ultimately the value of um, the value of a starting pitcher doing what he did twice in the World Series is probably a little higher than the value of Steve Pierce. Even though Steve Pierce in that game four single basically single handedly won the game. <laughs> I mean, you know, Moreland hit the three run homer, and then Pierce tied it, and then Pierce cleared the bases with a double and. You know, the winning game four was tantamount to winning the series. Yeah. Uh, once well, once they went up three one, there was really no chance for the Dodgers reasonably to expect to come back. So I get it, but Pierce, I mean, uh, Price had you know two enormous starts in that series, and I kind of think, I think I I weird I wish they had split it. You know, yeah, I, that's I, they could have split it. So hard to judge, you know, pitcher against hitter anyway. But it, but it, it seems to me what what really struck me is Price pitching really well, but also outs just being so difficult and precious in that series. How you know you had to throw a thousand pitchers out there to get your twenty seven outs, and for him to go out there and twice give you six innings and 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 pitch uh, as you know dominantly as he did, I would have given it to him. But again, I don't think Pierce was a bad pick. I don't think that was a bad no. choice. I just think. Price would have been my guy. All right, Timothy, here's our last uh, baseball question. Timothy wants, and I think this is specifically for you, are the Yankees going to sign Machado, Harper, Keuchel, and Corbin, or just Machado, Harper, and Corbin? Could they trade for, <laughs> could they trade for Kluber and Lindor instead? So, there you go. So what do you think about that? I don't think they signed Machado. Are you with me on this? Yeah, I don't think they will either. I just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, here's my problem. I, I have a big, big problem with this. Um, I'm not signing Manny Machado and putting him at shortstop. He can't play no. short. He no. cannot play short. I, I, I mean, I'm going to give him the next 10 years or eight years or seven years or whatever you're going to be able to sign him for and give up, you know, I mean, he's going to give up a lot on defense and, and he's going to hit and, and, you know, it's, it's pure stubbornness. Nobody thinks he's a shortstop except for himself. And, and that's a big, I mean, you know, obviously he showed kind of a pretty, negative attitude also and and you you have a lot of questions about you know where that's going plus he gained a lot of weight it seems like he, he was a lot slower um you know I, I think there was some questions about his hustle and not that i'm a big hustle grit guy or whatever but you know it is the postseason and if, if but if, also this know, is not the usual um quote questions about his hustle end quote that are just like weird rumors that are spread right. that or, sometimes ha are tinged with you know um latin players being right. held to different right. standards this was him saying hustling isn't my cup of tea <laughs> after being <laughs> after being asked why he didn't run that hard like it, well, he, the double he, play too it wasn't like a yeah. it wasn't like I, nothing bothers me more than when you start going after a player because he didn't run out of fly ball or something i mean whatever yeah. but it was a double play a pretty important moment and then yeah. he's like hustle thing yeah that's not great yeah he he brought it on himself he doesn't seem like the world's best dude although there were teammates who defended him i don't know the, but you're the larger point is if you're going to commit if you're going to treat him like he's a cornerstone foundational piece of your organization 
you don't you can't put him a shortstop. He's just it's so crazy. He is a gold glove caliber, insanely good defensive third baseman. He's like yes. Arenado level third baseman defensively. Well, no one quite is, but he's in that category. And you move him to shortstop, and he's like a league average shortstop. And it's like, what do you what are we doing here, guys? Like, it, you know, and also, you know, look, everybody assumed the Yankees were going to sign him because Gregorius is having Tommy John surgery or whatever, and he'll be out until June or July. They have Gleyber Torres. Gleyber Torres' natural position is a shortstop. He's he costs the league minimum, and he's just sitting there. And they'll move him to shortstop, and they'll put someone else at second, and their team will be better. I just can't imagine the Yankees if the Yankees are going to spend two hundred and three hundred million dollars on players this offseason, which they probably are. They, by the way, they don't even need Harper. Harper's not the guy. They they need Patrick Corbin, they and they need, need and they, they need don't. Corey Kluber. They need starting. They need young starting pitchers who can who can pitch in that division and so i think they're going to spend a ton of money i don't think they're going to spend it on manny machado and bryce harper i mean i just can't imagine i can't imagine going to a scott boris client and and signing up for what that all of that you know angst that that brings you and getting in the yankees case where are they going to play bryce harper in, they're going to move Aaron Judge. He's like a gold glove caliber right fielder. Well, and Harper was terrible defensively this year. Yeah, terrible. Yes, by all I know. Yeah. A lot of the, the real, the whole, the the true story of this season is that the biggest free agent signing um, possibilities. Like we've been looking forward to this year for a long time. The biggest free agents cost themselves hundreds of millions of dollars sure with did. their play and their attitude. It's really going to be interesting to see who ponies up the dough for those guys. Well, it's really interesting because you're right. I mean, Harper you know, it looked like his body broke down in a lot of ways. I mean, he ended up having a pretty good second half and he's still Bryce Harper. I mean, I'd still want him, but I would want him at a price. And same thing with Machado. I'd want him. He's such a great hitter. Uh, they're both still very young. I mean, in, in certainly for free agent, they were not very young, but they're young for free agents. Um, I feel good about them for the next few years offensively, but Boy, big risk. I mean, it, uh, Harper, you you've got to hope his body turns around and he's he starts playing. You know, he was a he was a very subpar outfielder, and then Machado's insistence on playing shortstop is just mind boggling. Weird, really. man. Yeah, very <laughs> weird. All right, I do actually have one more question. Jeremy wants to know because I think this is a good question. What is the proper way to root for a team that has problematic players on the roster? As a Cubs fan, I couldn't bring myself to root for a Roldis Chapman, and there's still Addison Russell and Daniel Murphy on the payroll. It's a good question. It I is. think it's a big question in sports right now. It's huge. It's it's the I mean every and every team has to deal with this, right? Every like team. there's, <clears throat> I don't know that you're going to find a single roster that doesn't have someone problematic on it. I know I have relatives who are Astros fans, and when they signed Osuna. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. Like, you know, I, this is like, I mean, you, we go through this uh, as a society. We go through this in a lot of phases of our life that involve entertainment, right? Because there are movies you love that maybe have been directed by or star people right. who maybe aren't that great people or revelations come out about them. And you, it's hard to divorce the art from the artist. And some people can, some people can compartmentalize, other people can't. I don't know. I, I think that in general, the number one thing is ideally you're not looking to sports franchises or movies or TV shows or something for to be like sort of your your weather vane for for moral behavior. That I mean, it feels it sounds like a cop out. But I, I mean to say that if you can 
be proud of your sports team. That's great. But I also don't think you should invest too much of your personal moral compass in your sports team or your or your favorite movie or whatever, because I think you're you're going to be disappointed. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, well, but I don't know. I I have this. I mean, look, I have this problem myself. Of everybody does. Every sports fan has this problem. There are players who have done things that are awful. There, you know, St- Stephen Wright this year for the Red Sox had some personal issues yeah. that were unpleasant to contemplate, and there have been players. Manny Ramirez obviously was, uh, you know, in terms of PEDs and stuff like that. And sure. and there's any go keep going. And at any team at any moment has people who are doing things that are disappointing or are are tr- troubling or problematic. I don't know. I think this is an individual thing. I think it's um, your mileage may vary. I have a. I I try to uh, I just always personally try to figure out where my line is, and if there's a line that someone crosses, then I sort of say like, well, I can't, I'm not going to root for that team anymore or that guy anymore. And but it's hard, it's hard to figure out exactly where that line is, and I think it's it's just got to be different for each individual person. Yeah, I think it's tough. I think it's tough. Look, it's always been a little bit uh, difficult, even even before, even not specific to somebody doing really really bad things. I mean, there are players that you really, really dislike, uh, even in the fun sports way when they're on another person's team and then suddenly they're on your team. And it's like, well, right. yeah, I remember when Cleveland got Jack McDowell, I could not stand Jack McDowell. And I don't know why he seems like a incredibly nice guy. He actually is, uh, is coaches, uh, a college team here in my hometown now. Um, and seems like a wonderful guy, but man, I, I didn't care. I, I, he was, he was for the White Sox and I couldn't stand him and thought he was, he was totally overrated and just drove me insane. I just really, really didn't like him for whatever reason. And then the Cleveland had him and I'm like, all right, now what? Now do I like him? Yeah. Do I suddenly like the guy? And that's the benign and, version, right? The benign version is benign. like, exactly you hate, right. you hate Paul O'Neill and then suddenly Paul O'Neill's <laughs> on your team or whatever. And it's right. Right. So that's and and that's what I'm saying. There's a there's long been the benign version of this. Um, it's obviously much more difficult when somebody does something. And and I think realistically what you end up doing is you end up embracing a Jack McDowell because it was benign. Uh, but it's not benign if somebody, you know, is you know, beats their wife or 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 says things that you find uh, impossibly offensive or, or whatever the case may be, which leads us to our last Red Sox thought of the day. And that is that the Red Sox, uh, I believe had, I could be wrong. I think they had every single person who was alive in Boston in 2004, throw out the first pitch yeah. in that world series game, except for one, except for one. <laughs> about that as a Red Sox fan. Oh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it like, look, this is is what I would say about this issue in general is the important thing is not to ignore it, right? If in the old days, meaning like literally five years ago, everyone would just ignore it. And you decided if if a person plays on your team, you support that person no matter what. That's the bad version. Um, You can still support the team because connections to sports teams are they run very deep and they're emotional and they encompass many many things they 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 represent relationships you had with your mother or father they represent your hometown they represent like years and years and years of experiences with your friends and family and everybody else so i don't think that those connections should be necessarily undone by the actions of one member of the team or multiple members of the team even right. but 
I do think what's bad or what could be bad is ignoring it and pretending it didn't happen or just, or saying it's not that bad or yeah. you're wrong and he's, everything's fine. Like the important thing is to like understand what happened as best you can process it as best you can confront it and kind of deal with it and like mull it over and talk about it with your other sports fan friends and like just have it be a thing that you understand and care about and talk about instead of just ignoring it or pretending that it's okay because he's on your team and not on somebody else's team. And so yeah. when Schilling was uninvited or I guess not invited <laughs> from not throwing invited, out the first I pitch, I, I, I loved it because, because for one, he's a ding dong and he deserves to not be ever brought into the public eye because he just has lost his mind. But the second thing is it was basically a message that said, look, our team has certain standards for just behavior, just basic behavior, just the way that we treat other people. And if you violate those standards, we're, you don't get to come to this thing. And it's not the biggest deal in the world. It's not, you know, it's not like the, <laughs> the even like the Baseball Hall of Fame or whatever. It's just a thing that we're doing. But because you said such awful things over and over and over again and spread so much hate and virulence and misery and unpleasantness, you don't get to come. And I think that's kind of the right way to, to play this is like, yeah, we're going to have a party and you're not invited because you're being a jerk. <laughs> well, that's well, that's right. And and and, you know, to, to those that said he should have and, you know, I've. I have voted for Kurt Schilling every year for the Hall of Fame. I see no reason why I wouldn't continue to do that. I mean, he's – I think he was a great pitcher. But um, I don't want Kurt Schilling giving that Hall of Fame speech any more than anybody else does. Uh, and that's just part of the deal. That just kind of goes with the territory. In this case, you're bringing all these people to celebrate 2004. That's the only point is to celebrate 2004. The minute Kurt Schilling is out there, it's no longer about celebrating 2004, right? It's yeah. about Kurt Schilling and all of the things that he says and and the people who agree with him and the people who disagree with him, the 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 anger, the racism, the 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 everything about it. And um they didn't want it to be about that. And I don't blame him. I don't want that to be about that either. That's my big beef with the Hall of Fame and we'll talk Hall of Fame uh in a future podcast. But um that's my big problem. My big problem is I've always believed and still believe that Kurt Schilling is uh, a Hall of Fame pitcher. But, you know, I, I, with everybody else, who wants him there giving that speech? Who the yeah. heck wants that? Nobody. Yeah. Nobody wants that. So, who wants him there, like, the t like thanking Alex Jones <laughs> for, <laughs> might introduce for all the him great. The the thing. Thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's anyway. All right, let's go to our Cleveland Browns update. Let's check in on the Cleveland Browns. How are they doing? A lot happened since the last uh, Browns update. The Browns did indeed fire Hugh Jackson uh, and offensive coordinator Todd Haley in the same minute, basically, within like a few minutes of each other, which uh, only the Browns could screw up, you know, like something that was already screwed up. It's like I, at some point... You know, that that old line about like rearranging uh, furniture on the Titanic. Um, this is like rearranging furniture on the Titanic and doing more damage somehow to the Titanic uh, while you're doing it, because now they have somebody who's never called plays ever in the history of, of, of his life. Freddie Kitchens suddenly is thrown into uh, into being the offensive coordinator. Seems like a good guy. Seems like he might do a fine job. I don't know, but it's clearly not the plan when you've just taken a quarterback with the number one overall pick. That doesn't seem all that great. You've given the head coaching job as an interim basis. 
um, to a guy who was thrown out of the league for targeting and, and, and that doesn't seem all that great. None of it seems like it was really all that well thought out. Um, but this is the Browns and this is what we deal with. And the Browns <laughs> lost to the chiefs 37, 21. Uh, and the only real interesting element of the game that the chiefs are really, really good, by the way. I mean, really, really good. That offense is insanely good. That defense is not good at all, but that offense is insanely good. Uh, but the interesting part of that game is the Browns scored 21 points in what I believe is unprecedented fashion. They scored three touchdowns, missed three extra, uh, three two point conversions, uh, and kicked a field goal to get 21 points, which is awesome. Deeply insane. Deeply, deeply insane. insane. Um, that was deeply insane. The, the most Browns thing in the world is ending up somehow with Greg Williams as your head coach (laughs) and having Greg Williams talk to the press and tell the press that a whole bunch of teams wanted him to be the head coach (laughs) without providing any evidence that that's true. (laughs) It's, uh, uh, so ins- so crazy, so deeply crazy for him to say that and just stick to it and double down on it over and over again. But I will say this. If you're the Browns, like this is a thing that needed to happen for the future, yes. right? Yes. They needed to to end the Hugh Jackson era. They needed to uh, move on. They needed to open up the... There's already a, a situation that's happened where Bruce Arians, who's retired, yes. has come out and said, the only job I would take is the Browns job. Now, I'm not saying you should hire Bruce Arians at all, but Bruce Arians went to a Super Bowl. Bruce Arians was like a good coach. He coached Bruce a lot Arians of good, good teams. Yeah. And the idea that there's a guy out there who's like, that's the only job I would take, that has to be the best that's one of the best things that happened to the Browns in 20 years. <laughs> it's a, a guy unassociated with their organization saying he would theoretically coach them is a huge highlight for them. So it, it needed to happen. This was the house cleaning that needed to happen. The future still looks bright. They still have a young quarterback who seems like he's got some skills. They still have a pretty good defense. They, like, they're going to have more successes at the end of the year. There's no way they were beating the Chiefs. That's insane. They, but they're, they're going to win a couple more games and they're, they might not even end up with the number one overall draft choice, which would be incredible, <laughs> but they're going to have like a top eight draft choice and they're oh, going to pick and hopefully pick another really good player. And like, I, this is the, just the year of like, they, they needed to, this is the year that the Cubs traded all of their guys and got all the prospects and, you know, and reloaded and the net, and then the Cubs won the world series like three years later. And I kind of think if the Browns are ever going to really compete, you know, the other, here's the other thing I'll say about the Browns, like going forward, like Roethlisberger is what, 35, 36 yeah. and Flacco is similarly aged. Like their division has a bunch of like older quarterbacks who are getting to the end. Like you can imagine a time like two or three years from now when Baker Mayfield is coming into his own and those guys are just either really banged up or they've retired and they haven't, you know, found their replacements. And then suddenly like, the best quarterback in the AFC North is Baker Mayfield. You can absolutely imagine that happening. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, uh, two things. One, um, they might not win another game. I mean, their schedule is kind of weird uh, the rest of the way. They play Atlanta this week at home, which is, um, you know, looked like maybe a, a win uh, a few weeks ago, but the, the Falcons are playing way better. And then they four of their last six games are on the road. The only games they have at home are Carolina, who they probably won't beat. And the Bengals, who they probably won't beat, uh, they lose, They play at Cincinnati, at Houston, at Baltimore. They probably won't win any of those games. Really, their best shot uh, to winning a game after the bye is uh, at Denver 
which, you know, they probably won't win just because it's at Denver. <laughs> so there's actually a pretty decent chance that they go to uh, 13 and one, uh, which will probably put them in at least contention for uh, for that number one overall pick. And we'll do something that I think is is pretty amazing. We'll look back on the 2018 season and and realize Hugh Jackson was the best coach they had that year. Uh, because Greg Williams would then go, oh, and whatever, oh, and eight, oh, and nine, and, oh, and eight, I guess, um, which is not going to help him for all those other teams that are dying to hire him as a head coach, I don't think. Well, yeah, maybe they won't win. I, but again, I, I, I think it's irrelevant. I think that what oh, it is irrelevant. you need, you need right? In fact, there's an argument to be made, obviously, that like what you want is just for these guys to get reps and not get hurt and then – get a good draft choice. So like, that's right. I, you know, I, I just, I'm still bullish. I'm, I think if the, if the oh, Browns are a stock, you're still buying at this point, especially now that they've cleared the decks of their coaching ranks, they can spend the rest of the season auditioning people internally and also starting to poke around externally and, you know, see if there's a person who wants to come in and, and, you know, us like some kind of Kyle Shanahan type guy, some kind of young coordinator type, who's got some, you know, who sees what, I think everybody sees in, in their, in the, like a good quarterback and a good defense and some good skill position players and, and a high draft choice coming and a bunch of other draft choices, by the way, right. They've got a ton of draft choices coming they up. Do. So. They have a bunch next year. And, and by the way, the other thing I would throw out there is that um, I, the Bruce Arians thing is actually really interesting to me, not because I think Bruce Arians should be the head coach, but I wonder if they would be able to work out some sort of deal with Bruce Arians where he would come in as sort of a, sort of a head coach and you know again you'd have to sort of invent a new thing but you know how in baseball the general managers are all working under presidents right they're all working under you know the, the farhan in 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 uh uh in los angeles is working under andrew um you know theo is the is the president or whatever and and jed hoyer is the uh is the gm if he would come in in some sort of like a so like head coach, but he had like some young guy who was his offensive coordinator who was like head coach and waiting, I'd be all for that. I I think you know because I don't think Bruce Arians wants to coach forever. I mean he's a he's not a young guy, um, but if he wanted to come in and say, hey, let me let me help you get this thing rolling and and let me you know work with a young coach that's. Uh, you know, that, that I think could develop. I, I, I think that's pretty interesting actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it's the right move. Like maybe it's the Jim Leland to the Marlins or whatever. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> like, there's that too. Yeah. There's, yeah. That sort of thing. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes from here. So <clears throat> here's the, here's the deal on sports, uh, sports movie time. We were going to have Brandon McCarthy with us today, but, um, it's voting day. So Brandon, uh, you know, Brandon's dedicated to, uh, to his vote and to, mo- uh, and to democracy, to democracy. Yeah. He chose democracy over the podcast is what he did. A terrible mistake. Terrible. <laughs> who, who would do that? Really? What's more important? This, this semi biweekly <laughs> podcast about nothing or the future of American democracy. I know I mean, it's weird. It's weird that he made that choice, but you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, do things. So, uh, he's going to join us later, but we had a, a whole schedule planned, uh, which included a, a special Brandon McCarthy version of Sports Movie Time. So we're not going to do that. We're going to wait for Brandon. We might do that uh, as early as next week. Um, so what we're going to do instead, we we don't really have a Sports Movie Time specifically, 
So what I'm asking Mike, and I'm going to do this myself, is to pick a sports movie um, that we have not talked about and 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 for whatever reason you want. That's it. That's basically the whole <laughs> thing. Uh, so I'm, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Uh, I, I'm going to pick Jerry Maguire. Oh, nice. Um, so Jerry Maguire uh, has no business being a good movie. That's the that's like the the reason I find it interesting. It's a uh, it it's about a sports agent, which is a loathsome creature. Yes, the sports agent, and it, it and that's also not a, a topic that seems like it would have widespread appeal. Um, and it's a, it's a big mess of a movie. It's a like it's got one kind of central idea, which is that this loathsome. <laughs> egomaniacal sports agent writes a manifesto and where he declares that they need to have more personal connections with their clients. And then he gets fired from his loathsome sports agency <laughs> by another equally or more loathsome sports agent. And he's just a monster. This guy, he's a, he's a vapid and vain kind of like disaster of a guy. And he right. finds salvation through a, an unlikely relationship with his um, sort of quasi secretary who is a sort of leaves when he leaves and, and her odd child who spouts weird facts <laughs> all the time about the, the, how much the human head weighs. Um, it has no business being any good, but it's really good. It's just a really good movie. It's my wife's favorite movie of all time. Really? My wife does not care about sports at all, but she just really loves the movie. And I kind of get it. Like I've watched it a bunch of times because of her and, and uh, and it's just like a weird shaggy dog story where they kind of rambles and ambles on its own. And it's got a bunch of different interesting relationships. Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, you know, the, there's the whole show me the money side of the movie that ends up being like a kind of interesting friendship that evolves between these two guys, both of whom in their own way are egomaniac disasters of, of <laughs> uh, humans. Um, and then his relationship with Renee Zellweger is interesting and his kind of slow, j slow, inexorable march towards self-actualization is kind of interesting. It's just like an odd, it's a very odd movie. And it's crazy to me that it was a, such a huge commercial and critical success. But um, I like movies like that. I like movies where there's no, earthly reason why they should ever work uh where they should ever uh, where how they should ever be good and yet somehow they are and it's sort of a testament to like tom cruise at the height of his star power and uh and renee zellweger giving like an excellent performance and just a whole bunch of weird things like everything about the movie feels like they got it exactly right they just found the right actor they they had the right little moment uh, uh the right amount of kind of um I don't know, quirks, I guess. There's just yeah. a lot of quirks. It's a lot of like rough edges um, that are that are things that you wouldn't, if it came out now, you would, they would cut a lot of it because they'd be like, we don't need this. We don't need this. Let's hone this down and shave this down and whatever and make this more streamlined. But it, they didn't because it, it's Cameron Crowe. It kind of rambles around and you kind of like, you just, you get lost in this kind of um, rambling story. And I, and uh, it's, a, it's really good. I'm just, a, I'm a fan of that movie. You know, it's funny. I, I, I feel the same way. And, and somebody actually uh, gave us one of the questions. I did not use it, but, but I'm going to mention it now, uh, where they wanted to ask you, would you rather have a great writing crew uh, for a show? Would you rather have a great writing staff and a mediocre um, uh, acting uh, group, a mediocre cast, cast. I guess, yeah, <laughs> or, or cast, however you want to say, <laughs> uh, would you rather have an amazing cast and a mediocre writing staff obviously you'd rather have both um 
that one is not, it's not that it was mediocre writing. It was not, it was, there was a lot of very compelling writing in it. That cast is amazing. Every person in that cast from Jay Moore is like the unbelievably obnoxious guy to Renee Zellweger as the sort of ideal, um, you know, uh, person who, who is clearly going through a lot to Tom Cruise is this sort of egotistical idiot trying to figure things out. Uh, isn't Bonnie, um, who plays, uh, Renee Zellweger? Bonnie Hunt. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, Bonnie she's, Hunt's in there. She's yeah. amazing. It's like that movie is cast and Cuba Gooding Jr. Of course he won an Oscar. He was, he was amazing in that movie. That movie is cast about as well as a movie can be cast. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's great. And it, there, everybody gives various sort of realistic performances, I would say. Like, they seem like three-dimensional people, which yeah. is always the goal. Like, they don't seem like ciphers. Even, you know, um, Cuba Gooding Jr. is like, he he starts off as just like a basically a bundle of memes and catchphrases. But by right. the end, you're like, I get that guy. He's like a real person, you know? Uh, I It's a good question, by the way. Ca great cast, mediocre writing staff, or vice versa. I, it's hard. I think you can, I think that the reality is you can have the greatest writing staff in the world. If the cast isn't any good. Yeah. Um, this, this show or movie isn't going to be any good. I think if I had to choose, I would choose great cast, mediocre writers as crazy as that is. Cause I'm a writer. You're a writer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but exactly. I, but you can like a great cast can save writing, can save mediocre writing in a way that like a, a mediocre cast can ruin great writing. So, yeah. I, you know, I think, uh, I think you got to go great cast on that one. I think it's probably right. And, but I, I mean, I don't think it was, like I say, I don't think it was a mediocre uh, movie as far as the writing goes at all. Um, I think it was, you know, it was, it had, it took a lot of very interesting twists and of course it had great music in it. And he had, you know, it had the, the, the great Springsteen song. It had uh, all kinds of um, interesting quirks, like you say, but really, I, you could see that exact movie with a different cast being just like, what the heck was that? It, it yeah. feels to me like the cast was really picked that one. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick a movie to go on top of that. That sort of fits the same, the same theme. And it's not, it, I'm certainly far from the only one to, to really enjoy it, but boy, Moneyball should not have worked at all. Yes. Right? Great. Another one. Yes. Just, exactly. Exactly the same category as Jerry Maguire should never have worked. Never have worked. You can't make a movie out of Moneyball and there's no story. Moneyball has no story in it. <clears throat> and they went through, I don't know how many different versions. Remember there was once a version where there was going to be like a cartoon Bill James. Do you remember yeah, this? Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh had a version in development where there was like a floating, a weird like psychedelic <laughs> Bill James floating head or something. <laughs> Which yeah. I'm dying to see that movie, by the way. I'm just, just, just yeah. Bill. It sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. But that movie should have been, I mean, it, it should have been something that like for crazy baseball fans, maybe we would like it or whatever. But you know, that, that movie like crossed over and people who don't care about baseball liked it. What happened? How did that work? Okay. So two things about this. Number one, what we're talking about is, is Cameron Crowe at the height of his Cameron Crowe powers for Jerry Maguire right. and Aaron Sorkin at the height of his Aaron Sorkin powers and Steve Zalian, by the way, they, I think they both wrote, worked on that movie yep. um, on Moneyball. So it's, it's very good writers writing difficult, tackling difficult, tricky subjects and doing a good job. But also there is a story in Moneyball. Um, they didn't really delve into it as much as I think they should have in the movie, but 
the story, which is what made the book so compelling, is a guy who washed out of a sport and then designs a team based on getting yes. people who are the opposite of him. That's the coolest, psychologically speaking, that's as cool as sports stories can ever get. And they did it a little bit in the movie in my memory. And they, and they like Brad Pitt is the perfect guy to play Billy Bean for the simple reason that he, he, when you look at him, you make a bunch of assumptions about what right. kind of person he is. Right. And then he's kind of a different kind of person, but I think that like there there is something psychologically interesting about the story that 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 helped crossing over and um But I don't think they used that much. I they really didn't don't. really they not enough, but they didn't use it enough. No, you're right. Uh but I still think that I don't know, it's in there somewhere. Like there's still the mood of that movie is like it's it's a little maudlin and a little sort of like psychological in a way that I think maybe made it more accessible to a non-sports fan. It's really interesting, though, because if you go back and watch that movie, as, as I have a, a few times, a enormous amount of that movie, I don't know what the percentage would be, but an enormous percentage of that movie is um, Brad Pitt sitting in his car. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's amazing how much yeah. of that movie is just Brad Pitt. And he's not necessarily doing anything. He's just listening no. to the game. He's just driving. But that's what I mean. Like, that, that's yeah. the psychology. It's like you're it's, getting inside his head or you're, you're sort cool. of tracking... Yeah, it's interesting. It's, I mean, it, look, an enormous part of Friday Night Lights is Billy Bob Thornton just wandering around in like, <laughs> in like, um, shopping, you know, like, uh, grocery stores and people stopping him and telling him how to coach the team, right? Like, that, that's part of the mood of those movies is like, you're seeing what it's just like to be this, have this weird job. He's got a really weird job. And the movie does a good job of explaining how weird it is to have his job, <laughs> which I think is kind of cool, you know? Yeah. And, and by the way, again, unbelievably well cast right i mean that's yeah. that's another winner i mean you mentioned brad pitt but i mean do you jonah think hill... paul de podesta regrets his decision not to let jonah hill use his name in the movie wasn't that the I... story that yeah that, well i think he just didn't want to be involved at all in the whole thing but why right? why not man well, why wasn't he going through i mean because he he was still taking a beating for for his dodger wasn't uh, that after the dodger fiasco i guess it might have been it was 2011 i can't remember when he was running the dodgers but i mean I don't know if you, I mean, if someone's going to play you in a movie and it's going to be a positive portrayal, let them, let them, let them use your name. <laughs> like, you know, well, and it, it, as, as it turns out, you, that Jonah Hill character was so great and he played it so well. Yeah. You want that. You yeah. want, you want to be a part of that, of that thing. I do want to mention, since you mentioned Baldi Podesta, uh, I do want to mention one thing after the world series ends and, and Bill Plaschke is a friend of mine. So I, I can say this, with great, uh, great um, respect and 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 feeling for my friend, he, Bill Blasky wrote uh, a column, basically attacking the Dodgers management for not taking like a huge amount of blame for losing the World Series and blaming it all on their their awful analytics. Um, did you get? Did you happen to see that column? No, I don't think I did. Yeah, so the column was. Essentially, they came out and he was basically these guys are still tone deaf. They don't understand that uh, that, you know, what everybody really wants to hear, what everybody wants to know is that the Dodgers are taking responsibility for their stupid analytics. And that's why they lost in the World Series. And 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 I remember and I just read that column. And again, I say this with 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 respect for for my friend Bill. Uh, and I thought, what in the heck is this about? What I, I how? Who would who would walk away from that Dodgers team 
totally overachieving totally i mean they were done they were dead in the water all year they were dead in the water after seager went down they were dead in the water them going all the way to the world series losing to a clearly superior team i you can analyze that thing all the way you want clearly superior team and for you to come out there and go yeah this they got to blame this on the analytics wow that's that's i mean i you know and and i rig it up because obviously bill Bill uh, beat on Paul D. Podesta pretty good during his uh, stretch of time. Oh, I remember. As you will recall, as uh, as a (laughs) co-founder of uh, Fire Joe Morgan. um, And I thought he's still at it. He's still at it, but he has so much less ammunition now. I mean, yeah, I I mean, look, Robert's not to go all the way back to the first topic here, but Robert's made a couple questionable decisions, I would say. And, you know, he left Muncie and Bellinger on the bench against uh, Sale and Price and you know, he he made a couple interesting decisions there. There was no set of decisions he could have made that would have led no. to the Dodgers winning that series. It's no. absurd. They the Dodgers won ninety two games this year. The Red Sox won one hundred and eight. They won sixteen <laughs> more league. games yeah. than the Dodgers did. Yeah. Like in a, a better league, yeah, in a in a better league. That's right. And the like you like Roberts maybe you know. Did he take Rich Hill out too soon? I don't. Rich Hill's thirty-eight. He was well. In his right, but you know what? We we need to talk about that for one minute. I mean, because it, it was a huge topic. When I saw it happen, when I saw him go out there to get Rich Hill, this was my honest uh, thought at the moment. And of course, now we know a lot more. But at the moment, he ran out there. Roberts ran out to the mound, and I thought, oh, he's just going to talk to him. He's not taking him out of the game. That was every. Every part of his demeanor suggested he was not running out there because why would he ran out there rather than just walking? And and he just looked like he was running out there to like say, because because we now know that before the the inning, uh Roberts, I mean uh uh Dave uh had, he Roberts heard from him, hey, I've uh you keep, keep an, an eye, eye on me. Right, yeah. keep an eye on me. During the during the thing. So he was running out there clearly in my mind to say, How you doing? I mean, that clearly was it. And you can look at the at the video. He gives him the ball. He gives him the ball kind of as soon as he gets to the mound. And I don't know if it's a misunderstanding or whatever, but I thought Roberts took a beating for that, and that was ridiculous. That was ridiculous. Yes, if you watch what happened, Roberts goes out, whatever his intention was, Hill turns around and hands him the ball Just before they talk. And so it's like I I there was a rumor that went around immediately afterwards, which was Roberts was going out just to sort of check in to say, like, look, this yeah. is your last hitter. See if you can get out of it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He'll hand him the ball. What are you supposed to do? Give it back to him and say, no, you got to stay in like that was not his fault. That was not Dave Roberts's fault. You can question Roberts leaving his best left handed hitters on the bench in game yeah, one. Sure you, you can question whether he should have had someone warming up for Kershaw in game five. Right. When Kershaw gave up the homer to Mookie, I was stunned that Kershaw was allowed to stay in. Maybe. But you could also say, hey, it's game five. You're down three to one. You're even if you win this game, you're going back to Boston to face Chris Sale. There's a theory, there's a reasonable theory that that he had in his head, Roberts had in his head, which was, which amounted to, if Kershaw can't get out of this, we're dead anyway. Like, right. it doesn't matter. Like, our right. bullpen has done nothing to stop the bleeding in this entire series. They just, they roughed up, they've roughed up every member of the bullpen at that point. There's been no one who's like a shutdown guy, really. Baez was in the ballpark, but Baez gave up a run in that series too. 
in the in that game. So like there's there's a reasonable thought process that Roberts has, which is either Kershaw gets us through this and we win, or we're dead anyway. So what right. does it matter? Right. Well, and and I, the one other thing I want to say about Dave Hill, Dave, he seems like a terrific guy. Rich Hill or Dave Roberts? Hill, you Dave you combine them into one person. <laughs> I combine them into one. They're both <laughs> like terrific guys, though. I, I like them both. The thing I would say about Rich Hill is that he seemed like a terrific guy, and I get. I think he was being very unselfish when he said to Dave Roberts, keep an eye on me. I think that was a very unselfish and 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 cool thing for him to do. I think he was being absolutely thinking team first. I'm sorry. If you say that to the manager in the World Series, you're, you're saying, saying take me I'm out. You're saying out, right? you're saying right. if I give up a if I get a, allow a base runner, take me out of the game. That's what you're saying. And he That's did. He walked a guy and then the Roberts took him out. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised you left him in after the walk after you said that. I'm sorry. That's just that's just how the deal goes. So so I love this uh, sports movie time where we ended up just talking about Rich Hill and Dave Roberts. I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's what's your movie. <laughs> that's excellent. Well, there you go. As always. Well, what's wait? What's your movie? Did you choose a movie? No, I chose I chose Moneyball. Oh, Moneyball! Right. I'm sorry. I we got so lost talking about Rich Hill and Dave Roberts again that I forgot. I totally forgot. I know. Wait, are we not doing one last meaningless thing? Well, we usually do that at the end. You know, I, I should mention that uh, for those of you that are uh, podcast members, we're going to uh, have a little uh, bonus coverage coming oh, up. Oh, right. Which I forgot about this new system where there's bonus coverage. Bonus, as if, bonus as if coverage. 70 minutes of nothing isn't enough for you. <laughs> you know, it's funny because people have been, and, and and I understand this, there are people who are upset that they're not getting the, the full 90 minutes uh, for, for or whatever it is, however, this, however long this thing ends up being. And I get it. And I totally understand. Uh, you get point. it? <laughs> no, I don't get why they'd want to well, listen to 90 minutes. I get why they're upset because they're sort of like, hey, you know, but the only reason the, the only reason I could see really getting it is if you have like a 90 minute commute and we almost get you there. Like we get oh, you I see. really close, I guess. But, you know, to be honest with you, you know, join up. We'd love to have you. Right. Yeah, I mean, sure. At this, this point, we'd love to or have like you, so. find a job closer to home. <laughs> Whichever is easier. I think yeah, whichever one. way is easier. Either get a job closer to home or or join up. We'd love to have you. It's uh, uh, patreon.com uh, slash Joe Blogs. So we're going to do a little more baseball talk there. As always, Mike, thank you. Thanks for having me.